Good morning, Harvest. It is good to be with you. I hope you guys all had a great week. And if you're new with us, a special welcome to you as well. My name is Lee. I have the opportunity to serve here as the senior pastor. And uh, if you were here last week, you heard the news that Melissa and I and the family, this is home for us now moving forward. And we're excited to be able to be with you and excited for what God's going to continue to do. And uh, we would also love to connect with you. If you are new, uh, I want to encourage you following the service, stop on by the table out over here, our guest services table. We have a small gift card that we'd love to place in your hand. Just saying thanks for being with us as well, buying you that next cup of coffee at either Dunkin' or at Starbucks, whatever your preference. The correct answer is Starbucks. Um, but uh, you can have either or in, in that as, as well. But uh, we are in a couple of weeks here where we're just talking about the church. We're talking about our vision of where we sense God leading us and guiding us as a church, who he's calling us to become, because the church isn't the building. Uh, the church is a group of people that it's a movement of people that have linked arms together and have chosen to move together. And, uh, and so that's what we're talking about. Now, next week, we're starting a brand new series we're calling Home Field Advantage. And in that conversation, we're going to be talking about what does it look like to build a biblical home. And uh, this is an important conversation in our day and time. I'm going to encourage you to be here no matter where you're at in the stage of that. There's going to be something for you. And we're going to have fun. So next week, with it being kind of a sports theme, you get to wear your favorite sports team jersey. All right, so bring out the jerseys. That's your weekend to be able to support it. I don't care if it's football, basketball, baseball. You can wear whatever, you know, high school, whatever. But come hang out. And then after the service, we're going to hang out and do a tailgate party. And so for $1, you get a hot dog, a bag of chips, and a Coke. Bring a lawn chair. Take the opportunity to get to know somebody. Hang out with us as, as well. Let me take a moment. I'm going to pray for us, and then we're going to dive into the conversation. God, we love you. We need you. And we thank you for the morning. We thank you for the way that you've built the church and the way your goal and aspirations for what the church would become. And, uh, Lord, we just thank you that you would choose to work with us and use us for this mission that you've placed before us. Uh, empower us. Guide us. Convict us. Encourage us. I pray in your mighty name. Amen. Now, we're going to be in Acts chapter 4 in just a moment. So if you have your Bibles or your digital device, go ahead and turn over to Acts chapter 4. Now, Melissa and I, um, on our second anniversary, um, I kind of set the bar really high. And I kind of told Melissa at that point, like, from now on, our anniversary celebrations, you just need to lower the bar. Um, because we, we actually went to Uganda and Kenya to do some missions work. And while we were there, just because it happened to fall on our anniversary, we decided, and somebody made it a little easier by helping us fund it, um, why don't we go and do a safari? And so we went and did a three-and-a-half-day safari in the Maasai Mara, and it was unbelievable. It's everything you can imagine and then some. If you ever get the chance to do it, hands down, one of the best experiences we've ever, ever had. And uh, we went around, and just as you imagine, in the Land Cruiser with the top taken off, and we're driving around the safari, and you're sitting there going, giraffe, elephant. I mean, you're just, you're seeing all these things, and you're running all over the place, taking a look and trying to get that photo up. And uh, I, I can remember even at one point where we, we, we drove into a pride of lions, and i like, I want that camera shot. I, I want to get everything that I possibly can. And so I'm sitting there, and, and, the, and the lion won't turn his head. And so I'm like, here, kitty, kitty, kitty. And the driver really quick was like, don't do that. I'm like, gotcha, okay? Um, I'll, I'll, I'll listen. Um, we saw every animal except one. 
The one that evaded us was the leopard, but we saw everything else that you think of when you think of Africa and the safari. None of those animals were we ever allowed to get out of the Land Cruiser for our own safety um, until, get this, we pulled up to the rhinos. The rhinoceros, we're pulling up, and you're seeing, I mean, they're huge. I mean, they weigh as much as the Land Cruiser. And he's like, get out. And I'm like, no. Like, I'm, I'm all about adrenaline. Like, I, I love those kind of experiences. And I'm like, you've told us repeatedly, we're not getting out here. We're not getting out here. I don't want to get out with that. Like, you look at that compared to me, it's going to win every time, right? And here's the, here was the clincher. He's like, this guy, he's, he's here to watch them and to watch you. And I look at this guy, and he probably, I outweigh him by 50 or 60 pounds. And he's carrying a stick. Not an AK-47, no pistol, a stick about this long. And I'm like, if he gets mad, he's not going to stop him, Right? I'm like, if that rhino decides I don't like you guys, I guarantee you this guy with a stick isn't going to do anything. All my saving grace was I turned to Melissa and said, well, I'm faster than you, you know? I'm sorry. So, no, I didn't do that. But, but in that, that moment, I'm sitting there going, this, is, this could be a very, very bad situation. And then our driver tried to explain to us. He goes, listen, their eyesight is so bad that you just stay back here, you're going to be fine. But... Then he began to explain, this is the first time that I've heard this, that a group of rhinos, you know what a group of rhinos is called? A crash. Because when they get moving, their eyesight is so bad, they crash into everything in front of them. And nothing's going to make it. Like, if they get moving, and they're going in this direction, they're going to crash into it, and I guarantee you that thing's going to be destroyed, right? And I thought, that's a brilliant thought, because I, I think that's a little bit of how I think God has designed us to be when it comes to how the church is to operate. Can we be a crash? My, my encouragement to you this morning is, would you be willing to crash into the vision that God has for your life? To crash into the vision that God has for you as a husband, as a wife, as a parent. But even beyond that, would we be willing to be willing to crash into the vision that God has for us as a church? Because again, the, the church isn't a building. When the church got started, as we kind of talked about in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2 last week, there was no beautiful buildings. There was no unbelievable liturgy. There was no tradition. There were no church people because the church was just getting off the ground. The thing that kept the church together was this movement that was grounded on the foundational truth that Jesus was who he said he was that Jesus rose from the dead, that death in itself could not hold him, that he had a plan, he had a vision for us, for his followers. And so the church is this movement. We link arms. We choose to move together in this direction that Jesus has kind of laid out for us. And that's where we're going to kind of focus again on this morning as we kind of begin to open up to Acts chapter 4. Now, what happened over time, and one of the things that we have to pay attention to is, yes, we are a young church. We're not even two years old in this location. Even as an entire church, our church up in Lake Nona that was our, our first location, that's not even five years old. We're, we're, we're babies. And what we need to understand is that the church, even though it is a movement, it's disorganized, 
It's random. The, the church is a movement of people with this simple mission focused in on who Jesus is, that Jesus rose from the, get, the dead. The church began in those early days with this desire to spread the good news of who Jesus was. And so part of the challenge is, well, what happened over time? Because that's not necessarily how the church fully functions even today. Now, you have moments here, there, this, this church is, but there are a lot of churches that you sit back and kind of go, what, do they even know what the mission is? Somewhere along the line, the church got buildings. The church became more organized, which makes sense. But in that, it was so easy at times, and we see the fault of it even today, it can slowly transition from thinking about those that aren't here yet. In other words, they move from being somewhat outsider-focused, thinking about those that don't know who Jesus is and they're lost to the truth of who Jesus is, to becoming more insider-focused. There's this gravitational pull that can begin to take place where it pulls us in. And as a result, we lose sight of what the church, why the church exists, what it's for. And it's easy to happen. We've experienced, if you've been in the church for any time, you've experienced it from time to time. Where you attend or you visit a church that you're sitting there going, I don't even know if they know why they exist. It feels more like a country club than a group of people that are on mission and on movement together. I've seen churches, I've talked to pastors that have been in churches where even the leadership has called out those that were leading people to Jesus saying, would you please stop that because we don't want those kind of people in our church. I've seen churches choose tradition over the younger generation. It can easily happen where we begin to lose sight, we lose focus. What is the movement? What is this mission about? And we make it more about comfortability than the reality of who Jesus is and who we are when Jesus isn't a part of our lives. Now, our vision for Harvest, the very beginning, was created from the standpoint that we want to be a church that no matter what your walk of life, no matter what your background, no matter what your experiences are, this is a place that you can come because you matter. You matter. You matter to God. And because you matter to God, you matter to us. So no matter what that is, no matter what your background, no matter what lack of church experience, no matter what experience that you have with the Bible or no experience with the Bible, we want you to come. We want you to have the opportunity to understand who Jesus is, the love that Jesus has for you, and why he came in the first place, why he was willing to walk to the cross, and what was accomplished for you, what was accomplished for me, what was accomplished for us because of the truth of the resurrection, the hope that that brings for us. Now again, the turn from outsider to insider can happen so subtly that we just kind of slowly turn, we turn, we turn, we turn, and all of a sudden we don't even realize where we actually are. One of the ways you know whether or not a church is still on mission, whether or not it's still thinking about those that aren't even here yet, whether or not it's a church that's still moving, one of the ways that you know if a church is still on track with what God is really calling them to be a part of, what we're going to explore today, is how a church prays. 
how he church prays. The bottom line, the big idea of where we're going to go today is simply this, if you're taking notes. How he church prays demonstrates if it is strayed. How a church prays demonstrates whether or not it is his, his strayed. You, you want to take a look at how the people in the church pray, how the leaders in the church pray. All of those kind of indicate the heart of the culture of that church, what they're focused on, what are the things that are most important to them, what are the things that matter to the church. And our tendency is, how do we typically pray? Well, God, would you keep me safe? Would you keep them safe? God, I got a road trip. I really hope my car will make it. God, I really need to do well on my tests. Can you help me do good on my tests? Our tendency as Christians is to pray more prayers that tend to be self-centered than God-centered. And that's a dangerous place for us to be. Because again, the church isn't a building. The church is the movement of people. They have linked arms, walking together, moving together towards what God has called us to be. So when the majority of our prayers are for ourselves or for our family or for sick people, what are we saying the things that are really important? How often do we pray prayers that if we're honest, if God didn't show up, it wouldn't matter? Do we pray prayers that require divine intervention. If someone was to look at your prayer life, would God's participation in your life be evident? Or would it seem absolutely normal to everybody else around you? I believe deep down that God wants to give you a life that can only be explained by him. But it will begin, the thing that opens the door to that is prayer. Be careful of making yourself the center of all your prayers. Now we're going to jump into Acts chapter 4. And as we take a look at Acts chapter 4, one of the things that you're going to see stand out in this conversation is the remarkable way that the church chooses to pray. Now I want to give you a little bit of context about what's taking place here in this moment. We talked about last week, the day of Pentecost. So 50 days past kind of the Passover moment, it was fresh that Jesus had come, that Jesus had died, Jesus had rose from the dead. You're talking less than two months later. The Holy Spirit comes upon the followers, the, the apostles. Peter goes out and preaches in the streets of Jerusalem, and we see that 3,000 people come to know Jesus in a moment. I mean, that's remarkable when you just think about that. And there's a stir that's taking place in the city of Jerusalem. Big stuff is happening. This is a massive, massive moment, a big launch of the church. Now, a few days later, Peter and John, they're going to the temple. The temple is the epicenter of Judaism. And Peter and John, they're Jews. They're going to the temple to pray. But now, what we have to understand, they're Christians. They're followers of Jesus. So there's a little bit of conflict that is kind of taking place in this moment. As they approach, they see a guy that hasn't been able to walk since he was born. And the Bible says he's lame. In other words, he can't walk. So this guy, he's begging. And, and Peter and John, 
they go by the guy, he's holding out his hand, and he wants some money. We've all kind of seen and experienced probably this type of thing wherever out we're out in the cities. Now that he, he you know, that's how he survives. We understand that. Peter and John say, well, we don't have any money, but we have something better. We just want you to get up and walk. And this guy in this moment is miraculously healed. He follows them in the temple because what else are you going to do, right? These guys did the miraculous. Like, they changed my entire life. I'm going to hang out with these guys. And so not only do you have this buzz, you have Peter and John. They're walking in the temple, and they're bringing their buddy with them. Everybody in the temple knows who this guy is. They've walked by him for years. He's probably been standing there outside the gates going, well, the religious people are the ones that are going to support me. And so he's begged over and over. They know him. He has a reputation. So all of a sudden, this guy who's been lame since the moment that he was born is standing there, walking, hanging out with Peter and John, that buzz just went up on steroids. I mean, the, everybody is talking. There's this, it's crazy. It's pandemonium. There, it's, people are excited. People have questions. People are going, what is going on in this moment? It's almost like a riot. And all of a sudden, the entire dynamics of the temple change. And Peter, being Peter, he can't help himself. Peter begins to preach. And he talks again about the resurrection of Jesus once again. And this makes the Jewish religious leaders upset. They're uncomfortable. And so as a result, what do they choose to do? They arrest Peter and John. They're going, this isn't right. And it tells us right there in that moment that another 5,000 people come to know Jesus and place their faith in Jesus. As scholars would interpret that, that would have been about 10% of the city of Jerusalem in a very short span have now dedicated their lives to Jesus. I mean, this is a dynamic change in the city of Jerusalem. And so the religious leaders, they're upset. And they don't know quite what to do. Because yes, this guy just got healed. He's now walking. He's kind of evidence like there's something going on. They bring Peter, they bring John out of jail the next morning, and they begin to tell them, you guys need to stop. Stop the preaching. Stop talking about Jesus. Stop talking about the resurrection. Don't talk about Jesus being the Son of God. And the funny thing is, you know, as these guys begin to question Peter about all this, what does Peter do? He begins to preach a sermon again. And he concludes his sermon, which what I'm the point I want to begin in, in chapter 4. So he's concluding his sermon. He makes this final statement. Acts chapter 4, I'm going to start reading in verse 12. He says, And there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. He's drawn their attention to the importance of understanding who Jesus is. He's saying, you may place your faith in this. You may place it in the rules. You may place it in performance. You may place it on this, doing good deeds. It may be a giving. But he's going, guys, listen. All of those things are secondary. It's about Jesus. It's about Jesus. Where are you at with Jesus? There is no other way for you and I to be saved except by Jesus. 
which makes a point this morning. Where are you at with Jesus? You may have walked in the room and you would self-proclaim, hey, I'm on a spiritual journey. First of all, we're glad you're here. We pray for you. But I want you to know, no matter how much seeking, how much searching, how much looking you look for answers, Jesus is the way. Jesus is the answer. And we'd love nothing more than to be able to help you on that journey of knowing what it means to follow Jesus today. So these religious leaders, they hear Peter. He makes this proclamation. Again, they're already uncomfortable with this situation. And now Peter kind of draws a line in the sand. Now we get to verse 13. It says, now when they saw the boldness of Peter and John and perceived that they were uneducated common men. Remember, who are Peter and John? They're fishermen. They're the men from deadliest catch, to put it in perspective. Okay, these aren't highly educated. They're common dudes. He says they were astonished. They had recognized that they had been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition. So in this moment, again, they're confronted. They're amazed by the way that Peter and John conducted themselves. They're amazed by the words that Peter is preaching. They're amazed by his understanding of who Jesus is. They know that they were witnesses of Jesus. And they're amazed by the boldness by which Peter is preaching in, in front of them. Because this is, this is the reality for them. Their buddy Jesus was just hung on a cross a couple months prior. Peter and John, like, they didn't know where this would lead. There was a true reality that they may give their life this early of the stage of the game of following Jesus, with Jesus being gone. They didn't know what was going to take place. There was an amazement and astonishment to the boldness by which they were still proclaiming the truth. At the same time, a crowd is growing in Jerusalem. This new sect of religious religion is growing. Christianity is now taking off. They don't know what to do. And at the same time, they just saw the reality of this man that they had known who was lame for his entire life get up and start walking. They're worried of creating an insurrection. And so they're kind of, they look at Peter, they look at John and say, you guys need to stop. We're going to let you go, but you need to stop preaching. Which we've already realized Peter's not going to stop preaching. And they let him go. Now let's move on down to verse 23. It says, When they were released, they went to their friends, and they reported that the chief priests and the elders said what they had said to them. And when they heard it, they lifted their voices together to God and said, Sovereign Lord who made the heaven and the earth and the sea and everything in them. Who through the mouth of the, our father David, your servant, said by the Holy Spirit, why did the Gentiles rage and the people's plot in vain? The kings of the earth set themselves and the rulers were gathered together against the Lord and against the anointed. For truly, so in other words, they're contextualizing in their situation how they're interpreting the moment. And truly in this city there were gathered together against your holy servant Jesus, whom you anointed, both Herod and Pontius Pilate, along with the Gentiles 
and the peoples of Israel to do whatever your hand and your plan had predestined to take place. In other words, so in their prayer in this moment, they're bringing into context, hey, all of this happened based on your understanding, God. You were in control. You used Herod. You used Pilate. You used your people to accomplish your ultimate will and your goodness. Sometimes the, what we interpret as being bad is actually the thing that God is going to use for our good. Don't lose sight of that. Verse 29. This is a now, Lord, look upon your threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. Time out. Did you catch the way the church prays? I've, I've just got to... Before they, they finish their prayer here, they're praying over Peter and John, not for protection, not for their lives to be saved, not for safety. They're not praying for their own sake, but their prayer is that they will be able to continue to preach and to go out with boldness. Boldness. I mean, isn't boldness the exact thing that got him into this situation? Isn't boldness the thing that created the problem? Isn't boldness the thing that got them in jail? Isn't boldness the thing that created all the chaos and craziness out on the street? Isn't boldness the thing that created the antique and antagonistic spirits in the city between them and the religious leaders? I mean, isn't boldness the problem here? And again, I'm just catching it from my 21st century perspective. It's kind of like, Peter and John, I think you're pretty bold already. I don't know if we need to cover that. I think you got it covered. I mean, you just stepped out there, Peter, out on the street, and you began to preach about the resurrection. I mean, these are the street preachers, right? And what happened? 3,000 people came to know Jesus. I think we got boldness covered. I think we are good. Friends, church. When's the last time you've prayed for boldness in sharing Jesus? When's the last time? Verse 29, again, he says, And now, Lord, look upon their threats and grant to your servants to continue to speak your word with all boldness. While you stretch out your hand to heal, and signs and wonders are performed through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. You say, not just for boldness, but I pray that as they move forward, as they do what they're called to do, God, that you would use them, that you would do the miraculous through them. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken, and they were all filled with the Holy Spirit, and they continued to speak the word of God with boldness. Harvest. 
What if our church began to pray like this? The way a church prays is an indication. It is a demonstration of where our hearts really are. My hope, my prayer for us as a church, listen to me. This, I want this to be very, very clear. I don't want us to be such a busy church, so full of programs that our prayers are weak. I don't want us to be a big church that prays small prayers. I want us to be convicted about what is going on in our world. I want us to be concerned about what's taking place in our schools. I want us to be waking up at night concerned for our neighbors, our coworkers, our family members that don't know Jesus. That's why we started Harvest in the first place. I am plenty busy. You are plenty busy. Our desire and our goal isn't to just have a place where we can have a religious performance one hour of the week. That's not our goal. Our goal is to be a movement of people that have linked arms, trusting in the fact that God is a mighty God, that he is an all-powerful God, that he is a God that is still capable of doing the miraculous. Do you pray for it? Do you pray for boldness? Do you pray for God's hand to show up? Do you pray that your life, when people would look at it from the outside, that it would be evident that your life is where it is today because of Jesus' hand and his interaction in your life? It's a call not to be normal. It's a call for us to be countercultural. It's a call for us to be people that are different, trusting in who he is and who he is calling us to be. Here's a couple things that I'm going to ask for you to do. The first thing is, I want you to commit over the next 21 days to join us in a 21-day prayer campaign. And we're starting it today. There's a slide that's going to come up here on the screen. Daniel, slide coming up on the screen. There we go. 21 days of prayer and fasting. I want to ask that you join with us. Um, you can text to that number the word 21. You're not going to get spammed, but you're going to get a reminder to just join us through this process. Um, you can go to our website, harvestflorida.org prayer. On there, there's also a prayer guide that I'm going to encourage you to actually take time and download, and it's going to walk you through just a perspective to help you through developing this deep habit of prayer. Um, and what we're doing in that is we're looking at even some very specific ways in which the tabernacle and the temple were developed, as we see explained in the book of Exodus, and helping to give us perspective of how these things can help us engage God differently, even on a daily prayer basis. So I'm going to encourage you to join us in that process. Wednesday nights through the next 21 days, so there's just three Wednesday nights, I'm going to invite you to join us at 8 p.m., um, we're going to text out the link. I'm going to put it on um, the Harvest website on the under. If you're not on the Facebook page, I'm going to encourage you to go on there. But I'm going to put it on the Harvest Facebook, the Harmony St. Cloud Facebook page group, a link to join me on Zoom. 
And so we're going to join each other, and we're just going to have dedicated time on Wednesday nights at 8 p.m. just for kind of focused prayer time together. And we're going to pray some mighty prayers. We're going to pray for boldness. We're going to pray that God would use us in a mighty way in this community. We're going to pray that people would come to know who Jesus is and that their lives would forever be changed as a result of that. I want you to begin to write these things down. I want you to begin to journal the way that God is leading your heart and who is important to you. And I'm going to encourage you to think through three different people right now that are close to you that don't know Jesus and that you would dedicate the next 21 days to pray specifically for them. Pray that God would reveal himself. Pray that God would give you an opportunity to actually share the truth of who Jesus is and what Jesus has done in your life as well. And so join us in this campaign. Write down three names specifically that you're going to commit to praying in that. For some of you, prayer is your love language. Like you love to just spend time in prayer. Um, I'm going to invite you to join our prayer team. Um, We are just beginning to develop that here at this location. Um, We would love to have a group of people that come and they pray for 30 minutes before the services actually start. And that can meet people even in the back of the room that just at the end of the day go, I just want somebody to pray with me. Um, If that's something that you'd be interested in as well, I'm going to ask that you stop by the guest services table. Just tell them that we'll get your information, write down your name, contact information. I want to join the prayer team or I want more information about the prayer team. I'm going to follow up with you personally this week and just kind of talk with you a little bit about what that would look like and how we can get that thing up and, and up and going. Church, God's doing something. That's, that's the best place for us to be. But we need to engage him here too. And prayer is the way in which we begin to engage him at a totally different level. Let's take a moment, and I want us to pray. And, and we're going to take the next 30 seconds just where you are. I just want you to pray as you feel led. Pray for boldness. Pray for those that are around you. Pray for the school. Pray for those that don't know Jesus. And in just a moment, I'm going to close this out with a time of prayer. Jesus, thank you that you give us the freedom to step before you. You are a holy God. You're set apart. Thank you for choosing to love us in spite of ourselves. Lord, that you would die on the cross to give us life, hope, and purpose. Lord, we are forever changed. And God, my heart aches for those that are far from you. That are looking at other locations and other places, clueless of the reality of even their eternal state. 
God, convict us, move us, unify us. Listen to our prayers, I pray. Give us boldness. And God, I ask that you do the miraculous. Help us to be a light in our community, a light in our schools, light in our workplaces. And that others would be drawn to you, I pray. In the mighty name of Jesus, I pray. Amen.